You're listening to a podcast from Victory. Through Noah, we learn how to maintain great faith when the world mocks and the floodwaters rise. Learn more about this in week three of our series, Great Faith. We are on our week number three of Great Faith. Uh, we talked about, uh, first week we talked about uh, the Hebrew believers. Uh, of course, we we kicked off this year by talking about Joshua and just consecrating ourselves, but that is not really uh, part of the series yet. Uh, Hebrew believers, two weeks ago, last week we talked about Enoch. How many of you have learned something about Enoch? That he walked with God. You know, one of the things that you can actually remember about Enoch, he walked with God and he was no more. He God took him because God was just so pleased with him. Today, we're going to be looking at another character, uh, a descendant of Enoch. And uh, let me just ask you this question. You don't really have to uh, answer this, but have you ever wished that you could actually start all over again? Uh, you don't really have to answer that. Maybe have a reset button or maybe, you know, you're just playing a game, SimCity or, you know, PUBG or whatever, okay, Candy Crush, and then you, you missed all the high scores. You want to start all over again. Or maybe coming, you know, after the holidays, you've gotten a bit, uh, you know, obese, too big, you know, you have a lot of uh, things in your stomach, and you wanted to start fresh, new, go back to the gym, hit the, you know, go cross-train, do CrossFit. I actually delegated a CrossFit center yesterday in Evia. And so um, people are conscious about health nowadays. How many of you are conscious about health? Wala. Okay. Okay lang yan. Okay. You just want to eat and eat. and, and Okay. Uh, but, you know, many times you want to start all over again. Or maybe you came out of a broken relationship uh, and you want to start all over again. Maybe it's something about your work that, uh, you know, you, you had a big blunder in work and you want to start all over again. Maybe you had a big mistake in your business or financially and you want to start all over again. You want to turn things around and, uh, you know, you want to start. How we wish that you could actually start all over. Have you, can you relate with me with that? You know, have you ever wished that you have a big remote control and you Boom, reset button, control, not, not control, alt, delete, okay? Reset button and they just uh, have a fresh start. Well, God did. God wished to have a fresh start. And he actually did it. The earth was about 1,000 years old and there was evil all the time during that era. And he wished that he could start over again. And he did it. But this is not really a fresh start. This is more like a demolition job. It was a wiping out. It was a blotting out of humanity and um, uh, animals uh, in, on planet Earth. And, um, you know, why is that? How can we learn from that? And today we're going to focus on the man that God cho chose uh, to be an instrument of righteousness during that time. And his name is Noah. Everybody say Noah. Now, how many of you are familiar with Noah? Okay. You know, we hear this. We heard about this. When they, maybe from kids' church, growing up in church, we know that Noah was the one who built the ark. And so we're going to be learning today from the life of Noah. So if you have your Bibles, uh, please open to the book of Hebrews. We're still on Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11, if you don't have a Bible, I believe our ushers are standing by in the back. Uh, just lift up your hands so that we can lend you a Bible. Or maybe uh, the person beside you will be kind enough to uh, show you or share with you a digital Bible or maybe a paper-bound Bible. So if you need a Bible, would you kindly lift up your hand? We're going to read the scripture, just one verse though, uh, this afternoon, okay? Turn to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. And if you are there, would you kindly stand up, all of us, uh, as we give reverence to the Word of God this afternoon. We're going to read from the life of Noah and how he had great faith when the world mocks him and when the flood came. So Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. So since this is just a single verse, I'd like to encourage us all to read it out loud with all of our heart. Okay, Hebrews 11, verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark 
for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. This is the word of the Lord. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, help us to understand this passage and help us to process this. We know how difficult it was thousands of years ago when you had to look at planet Earth and it was filled with evil and corruption and immorality that you had to, uh, but no choice but to restart it. Help us to look at you as the one who is compassionate, the one who is loving, but yet you had to deal with things, Lord God. And so we thank you, Lord, even today. Lord, we declare that you are a compassionate God. Lord, extending your love and grace to, to those who love you, even up to a thousand generations. And so we thank you, Lord God, for a spirit of wisdom and revelation to know you better today. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody say, Amen. You may all be seated. You know, looking at the story of Noah, one of the things or the pictures that come to my mind is really this. Uh, you know, a cartoon, you know, I, was, I used to read this a lot to my children when they were like younger. We talk about this. I grew up uh, attending a Catholic school, not really talking about this, but when I actually attended a, um, a vacation Bible camp in my village, in Tahanan Village, one summer, the teachers from an evangelical church volunteered and thought about this, and vividly I saw uh, some of the pictures that we are seeing right here. So it was a nice, colorful picture, but you know, during that time, did this really happen? You know, was it really a time of fun? Was it really a time of, you know, just the animals, you know, just walking into the ark, you know, with all the nice music playing? I believe that it is the opposite. You know, it was a time when, you know, there's an impending doom that's coming to the earth. Uh, a time when God is about to reset the button and wipe out uh, planet earth. I believe that even the, you know, even people who are not, familiar with church, have probably heard of this story, and they're probably saying that, you know, that's just one story in the Bible, that's not real, it didn't really happen, but did it, or did it not? And we still find the remains of the ark on the mountains of Mount Ararat, you know, but you're talking about this flood, this is the single greatest natural disaster that happened in the world during that time. In fact, some uh, people are asking, was it a local flood or was it a universal flood? You know, how many of you know and believe that it, is a, it was a universal flood? That it actually covered the entire globe. It was not just a flood in Malabon, okay, or in, uh, in Pateros, okay. It was, I believe, it was a massive flood. In fact, the description of this flood in Genesis chapter 7 verse 19 was that it covered the entire earth even the tallest mountains was covered or were covered by that particular flood. And so imagine the amount of water that came out that was released 40 days and 40 nights, the Bible says. You know, it, in, in fact, the description was the, the fountains of the deep were opened and the floodgates of heaven were opened. So not only did the water come from above, but the, the waters came from below under the earth, fill the entire earth with all this. And we can only imagine the massive destruction that it can actually bring. It brings to mind some of the recent events a few years ago in, in, our, in our history. You know, about a few years ago when uh, a tsunami hit the, the nation of Japan and wiped out entire cities and neighborhoods, you know, because of this massive flood. Uh, several years ago, you know, Tacloban was hit as well by a storm surge uh, by Yolanda, uh, an international name, uh, was Typhoon Haiyan. And, you know, I, I, I visited that place right after the devastation, visited our church, and, uh, you know, we helped uh, in the relief operation. It was, it was so badly hit that, you know, there were, you know, you'd see dead bodies on, on, on the street. And that was not even... What happened during the time of Noah? It was just a fraction of the damage during the time of Noah. Now, who is this guy named Noah? And, you know, why did God choose him out of all the people uh, on the planet during that time? What's so special about him? There's something about Noah that we need to learn, okay? And Noah, of course, is one of the 
descendants of Enoch. He is actually the great-grandson of Enoch. The earth during that time was about 1,000 years old. It was still young. In fact, from the time that God created Adam to the time of Noah, it was just 10 generations. Everybody say 10 generations. Fairly young. From the time of Adam, you count the people who were born, and until the time of Noah, there were 10 generations from Adam to Noah. And there were two generations who lived on earth before the flood came, and you know, sorry, 10 generations that lived on earth before the flood came. And here we see that somehow we can probably ask, Lord, why'd you do it? You know, why did this flood happen? One of the basic questions maybe that we can ask today is, why would a loving God send a flood to destroy planet earth? Have you ever asked that question? You know, and some people are saying that our God is a harsh God. Our God is a God who is, uh, you know, uh, you know a one who wanted to destroy humanity. The, the opposite is so true. How many of you know that our God is a compassionate God? Our God is a loving God. It was at that point, it was a tipping moment, tipping point of planet earth. There's so much violence. There's so much corruption. There's so much immorality happening on planet earth at that time. The sin was so great that it had to move God in order to stop people from killing one another. He could not bear the sin anymore. Orgies, dissension, malice, a theft, you know, just a lot of all these things. In fact, the Bible describes the sin that every inclination of the man's heart was evil constantly, continually, all the time. It was not just spasmodic, you know, from time to time he thought about evil. No, it was like every second of the day there was evil. What sin can bring a judgment like this? It was almost like the floodgates of sin and hell came out during that time. You know, I believe that our God is a loving, compassionate God. And we see the same God who was found by, you know, in the Old Testament. For example, if you look at the story of Jonah, I don't know if you're familiar with Jonah. Jonah and the fish, and Jonah and Moby Dick, okay? Uh, you know, God told Jonah to go to Nineveh to warn them because if not, he will destroy that city. And Jonah said, I don't like to go to that city because they're a wicked city. They actually kill people for leisure and for recreation. I don't want to go there. I don't want to warn them. So he went the other way. But how many of you know that in the short book of Jonah, God used a big fish in order to bring him there in the shores of Nineveh. And Jonah preached a message of repentance. And the people including the king, they tore their robes, they fasted, and they repented. And what happened? Did God relent from his judgment? Yes, he did. He didn't judge them because he was a merciful and compassionate God. Same God who judged the nation of the, uh, the, the, the whole planet at that time. Remember Abraham when he was negotiating with God for Sodom and Gomorrah? Remember that? <laughs> it was like a, a bargaining thing. Lord, you know, if you see 50 people, you know, in that city, would you destroy that city, Sodom and Gomorrah? Okay, just for the sake of 50, I won't destroy. Uh, so again, Lord, what if 45, 45, okay, 45, <clears throat> will you destroy that city? No, for the sake of 45, I won't. What if it's 40? For the sake of 40, I won't. What if it's 30? For the sake of 30, I won't. Lord, don't be mad at me, okay? What if it's 20? For the sake of 20, God said, I will not destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham continued bargaining with the Lord. Lord, what if it's just 10 people? Would you destroy that city? For the sake of 10, I will not destroy that city. But the thing about Abraham is, is he stopped at 10. Dapat tumuloy siya hanggang 1. There's only one righteous person in the city and his name was Lot. Lot, Lot, and friends. No, no, no. Lot. He had no friends that were righteous during that time. Had he said to God, Lord, what if you find one righteous person in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah? I believe God would have said, for the sake of one, I would save that city. We would still see Sodom and Gomorrah today. But yet God did not find ten. And he was true to his word. 
he was so patient, he had to destroy the city because there's only one who honored him. And I believe that, you know, if there was one way of the people, you know, just showing repentance and remorse from their sin, I believe that God did not have to destroy planet Earth via the flood thousands of years ago. Let's look at the great faith of Noah. A man who was called by God together with his household to be saved. And it says in verse 7, we read this earlier, by faith. Everybody say, by faith. How many of you know that the, the real transaction of God is pleased is really by faith? Noah, it's not by works. It's really by faith. You know, by faith being warned by God concerning events that are yet unseen in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. Now, how did Noah express his faith? It was Martin Luther who said, we are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves us is never alone. And you will see that in the different characters you will find in Hebrews 11, the hall of faith, you will find that every time this guy is referred to, it says, by faith, Abel offered a sacrifice. They didn't stop by believing. They actually had something that they did after they believed who God was. By faith, Enoch walked with God. He walked with God. There was an action there. By faith, Noah built the ark. By faith, Moses, you know, uh, uh, and the people of God crossed the Red Sea and so on and so forth. It's always by faith. Faith that pleases God is actually coupled with works. Of course, we know that we are saved by faith alone. I'm not talking about salvation here. I'm talking about the genuineness of our faith. Faith that saves us is never alone because normally faith without works is dead. It's found in Apostle James. First thing about Noah is Noah, by faith, he built the ark. Okay, so what's so special about the ark? First, during that time, he doesn't even know what an ark was. During that time, he wasn't even aware what rain was. You know, the, the whole earth was covered with mist. And the way they would actually water the plants, it's not coming from the heaven. It's actually, you know, there's like a, uh, a way of God just uh, irrigating planet earth through the mist that appears from the ground. He was not aware of, he was not familiar with flood. But yet, God told him to do that, to prepare, to build an ark. By faith, Noah, as I said earlier, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen. And remember the definition of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, certainty of things not yet seen or unseen. And here we can see that even in the person of Noah, uh, you know, he took God at his word. That, you know, when God told me to do this, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow. Noah had the faith to believe and to obey the things that he could not even see. Of course, this particular verse in Hebrews 11 verse 7 is only a, what, a one-verse thing that describes Noah. This is actually an encrypted verse you know, that talks about four chapters in Genesis chapter 6, 7, 8, and 9, the story of Noah. So we have to go back in order for us to understand, okay, what really happened during that time? And so in Genesis chapter 6, verse 13 and 14, God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with what? With violence. Everybody say violence. The Hebrew word for violence is Hamas. Interesting. <laughs> or Hamas. But Hamas, how they pronounce it. Through them, behold, I will destroy them with the earth. And in verse 14, it says here, make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Now, we don't know what a gopher wood is. Uh, was it acacia? Was it, you know, uh, pine? You know, there's no, I don't know where you'll find gopher, but there's, a, there's a, an abundance of cypress wood or, or, or pine during that time. And so they probably used that. So the instruction was to make rooms in the ark. And cover it with, or cover it inside and out with pitch. You're to seal it. You're to make it waterproof, making sure that there's no water getting into the ark. And so that was the instruction of God. If you look at the word ark, it means teba, 
or box in Hebrew. It was not even referring to a boat. It was referring to a big box. He built an ark because God told him to do so. It is a box. And the thing about this box is there's no power in the box. There's no sail in the box. There's no rudder in the box. There's no navigation, navigating device. There's no captain who would sit in the bridge. It's just a box. And the way that you will ride the box is just ride it because you have to trust the one who told you and he will be in charge of that. And I believe that during the flood, it was God who navigated the box or the ark. There's just another time when this word teba or ark came in the Old Testament. And this is the time when Moses was born. His mom made a basket. If you look at the Hebrew word for that basket, it's also teba. It's a box. It cannot navigate. It cannot move on its own. It has to ride with the waves of the river. And in this particular case, we know that God is calling him to just ride in the waves of the ark, knowing full well that the God who called him to ride the ark will be the one to navigate. How many of you know that our life is like that, the ark? Your life is like a box. <laughs> it's like an ark. You can't navigate it. You can't sail it. You cannot control it. You just have to allow God to move you from forward, slow you down, side to side, because how many of you know that God's will for us is always good, pleasing, and perfect? How I wish we could actually navigate and move forward, and do things on our own, be in charge, be in control, but God, guess what? God is in charge. God is in control. Whatever's happening in your life, God knows exactly what you're going through. And sometimes you can have frustration, sometimes you can have, you know, Lord, why is this thing happening to me? Guess what? Just Learn to trust in the one who's holding you. I believe God, what God is saying to us today is, I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha your back. Don't worry about it. Of course, it's one thing to make an ark. It's another thing to fill it with different kinds of animals. Okay? It takes a lot of faith to make an ark that you don't even know about. Now, in verse 15, it says, this is how you are to make it. The length of the ark is 300 cubits, its breadth 50 cubits, its height 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark on its side. Make it with lower, second, and third deck. So three floors. If you convert this into feet, the estimate is about 500 feet long, 85 feet wide, and about 50 feet high. This is what it looks like. It's more like a coffin to me. <laughs> anyway, uh, so it's not really like a boat boat. It's more of a box. It's an ark. You know, God didn't say, okay, I want you to put up a, you know, a, a, a nice pointed hull. There's no instruction there. It's like a, the dimension was just rectangular. And this is how it looks like somehow if you just, you know, Following the specs, there's like hundreds of rooms that are in the ark. Just to give us a perspective of what the size of this ark was. You know, this is the most massive ship or man-made vessel that was actually done in the early, you know, century, okay, uh, of the human race. And so, this is how it's compared to other boats, okay? So, if the ark is about 500 feet long... The Santa Maria is, you know, I don't know, maybe about 100 feet. The Wyoming is about 400. The Titanic is about 800 feet. And Queen Mary, uh, a cruise ship, is about 1,100 feet. Okay, that's the comparison of, of the ark there. For one, Noah has not seen an ark. First time he's doing this. He had to trust God. Lord, why do I need to build an ark. I'm not a shipbuilder. Just trust me and build it. Noah was 500 years old when he had Ham, Shem, and Japheth. And he had to build the ark, maybe wait for some of his sons to grow up and help him with the ark. Some are saying that he built the ark for 120 years. Some are saying 100 years. Some are saying about 75 years. No matter how long he built, it was a long time that he built it. Many, many years. 
You know, one of the things that is interesting about this ark is when he was building the ark, the ultimate reason why God wanted that ark to be there is because God wanted to save his entire family, not just him. You know, when God calls you to do your vocation and your occupation, I believe that it is not supposed to contradict or, you know, a combat your family. It was, I believe, there's going to be an affinity there. There should be, uh, you know, uh, the benefit of your job should actually ultimately be for your family. There was no contest between the ark and the family of Noah. There's no, you know, you know we have a saying in, in victory, we will not sacrifice our family at the altars of our ministry. We will raise up our kids in the same way that we are raising up disciples in this church. We will never abandon our family. We will see that our family will also be moving forward. And I believe that that is exactly what happened to Noah. His wife was with him. His three sons were with him. And the wives of the three sons were with him. How many people were that? Eight in all. It's interesting, as I was researching this, the name, you know, Chinese. How many of you are Chinese here? Please raise your hand. You're Chinese. You know how to speak in Chinese? How many of you know how to speak in Chinese? Okay. In a Chinese language, it's said to be one of the oldest languages in civilization of man. And they said that one of the... Words that were uh, used in interpreting what the boat means in China, it's the boat means uh, it's pronounced a chu one, okay, chu one, okay, and you will notice that there are actually three characters in this chu one Chinese character, and these three character represents a vessel, eight, and people. Now, I am not Chinese. I am 100% Pinoy. I just read this somewhere, so verify. But it's interesting that somehow even the, you know, the, one of the oldest civilizations would acknowledge the, the presence of a boat that contained eight people all in all. Secondly, by faith, Noah condemned the world. I believe that he condemned the world by his preaching, and also he condemned the world by his building the ark. We see this in verse 7. By this he condemned the world. In fact, in Second Peter uh, chapter 2, it says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. He condemned the world. Maybe or he rebuked the world or he warned the world. That's a better statement. He warned the world from the impending doom, from the impending, the, the upcoming flood. Maybe the people are mocking him. The people don't even know what he's talking about. And so they actually did not believe his message. And so even Second Peter was saying, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood in its ungodly, on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, by his message, by his sermon, the way he spoke to them, he was giving them a warning. He was giving, a, giving them a chance. Can you imagine if Noah was so selfish, he would have not said anything to people. You know, if you found the cure for cancer today, would you share it with the people, with the world? I hope we will, okay? And he had the solution for an impending problem. And he was talking about, he was sharing to the people. But the people did not believe him. God thus was displeased with the creation that he had made because of the warnings that came. And let's look at Genesis chapter 6. And we will find here that there are, you know, that God saw something in his creation. He felt something also and he had intentions for his creation. There's a sharp contrast. In verse 5, it says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. This was the tipping point. A sharp contrast to what God saw on Genesis chapter 1 verse 31. You know, after creation, I don't know if you remember the creation account. After the creation, God created the world in six days. On the seventh day, he rested and God saw that everything was very good. And you fast forward it 1,000 years later. What happened on the earth is God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. God saw the heart 
of everybody was wicked all the time. How many of you know that God sees our heart? You know, God, there's no secret that we can actually keep from God. God sees every intention of our heart. God sees every motive of our mind. God sees every plan that we have. And God sees that very clearly. Every beat of the heart of man was evil all the time. It hurt the heart of God. And as I said earlier, maybe the most loving thing that God had to do is to stop all these killings. And he had to restart planet Earth. Verse 6, it says, and the, Lord's, uh, and the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. He was grieved by the object of his affection, men and women that he loved, men and women that he created. Have you ever been hurt by the person that you love? Don't raise your hand. The people who can hurt you the most are the people that you love the most. Couldn't care less, you know, if, you know, the security guard, for example, in a festival mall would actually say something to me, about me, you know, I don't even know him. You know, if he spread a bad report about me, I don't know him. But if someone I know, a friend, a family member, would speak ill against me, that stings and that hurts. And I believe that in the case of God, you know, the very object of his affection, the people that he created, instead of them being grateful to him, they attacked him, they sinned against him. It was like a sin factory happening every single day. And God was grieved. Ultimately, I believe that the chief end of man is to glorify God. Westminster Catechism says to glorify God and to enjoy him forever and to give God pleasure, not to grieve God. How are we conducting our lives today? Are we giving God pleasure? Or are there areas in our life that are grievous to the Lord? How's your relationship with your wife or your husband? How do you conduct your business? Is it glorifying to God? Or is it giving God grief? How do you relate to one another? How do you maintain relationships? How do you keep your finances? How do you do your business? How do you treat your employees? You know, how do you use your influence on social media? I know that the craze right now is 10-year challenge, you know. Do you use your social media for something that's selfish? Or do you want your social media to even glorify the Lord? So on and so forth. There's so many things that we can ask the Lord. Lord, how am I with you? We need to examine ourselves. You know, God's not going to send another flood for us today. Praise God. But yet we know that during that time, it grieved the heart of God because every inclination of man's heart was evil all the time. In verse 7, it says, So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the, of, of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. And all the other creatures were annihilated with man. Now, if you're going to ask me, Lord, uh, Pastor, what happened to all the dinosaurs? I don't know what happened to the dinosaurs, okay? They could not fit the ark, okay? But anyway, uh, that's another sermon for another day. But even Jesus referred to the days of Noah when he was talking to his disciples in Matthew chapter 24. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days, everybody say, in those days, in those days before the flood... They were what? They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. Is there something wrong with eating? How many of you eat? There's nothing wrong with eating, nothing wrong with drinking, if you drink the right stuff. Nothing wrong with marrying. How many of you are singles? Don't even raise your hand anymore, okay? Just, you know, believing God, you know. Us who are married, there's nothing wrong there. I believe that we ought to live lives that are glorifying. Let our marriages reflect God. But that in those days, Jesus was comparing the Noah days versus today's. 
Nowadays, His era, the New Testament era, in those days, people don't even care about what's happening in the world. In verse 39, it says, And they were unaware until the flood came. And it swept them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man. How many of you know that Jesus is coming back again someday? There's going to be a second coming. His first coming happened 2,000 years ago already. We're celebrating it four months in a year. Christmas. But yet there's another coming. He will come back again someday. Nobody knows the time. And his description is, as it was in the days of Noah, when people were, yeah, they were all evil, but what one thing that describes the people during that time is business as usual. Everything is just normal. Business as usual. People were living nor, nor, normal lives. They were eating. They were part, going to parties. They were attending weddings. Business as usual. They were having birthday parties, celebrating their anniversaries, business as usual. They're going to work on a Monday to a Friday, business as usual. Children going to school, being brought there by their parents, or sometimes riding a school bus, business as usual. People doing business, people doing you know, transactions left and right, business as usual. And there's so many things that are happening, and yet they are oblivious to the fact that there's a coming flood business as usual. They did not pay attention to the warnings of Noah as he was preaching his warnings that there's going to be an impending flood. They were just minding their own business. How about this? You know, what about today? People today are similar, as Jesus said, in the days of Noah. Business as usual. They don't even care. Do you want to get saved? Who needs salvation? Business as usual. Do you, want, do you believe in Christ? Who is Jesus Christ? I don't care. Business as usual. You know, people nowadays have, you know, subscribed to this thought of relativism. You know, you believe what you want to believe. I believe what I want to believe. You know, morality is relative. You know, recently the New York Senate just passed a, an abortion bill that you can abort, I think, even until like 24 weeks of a baby. Can you, that's already a human being. From the time that the egg cell and the, and the sperm cell meet, there's already life that has formed there. And yet today, we see this thing happening still in our society. Killing babies. They'd rather save the whales and save the environment and kill the human race. I'm not mad at you guys. But it's just business as usual. Do we see a similarity during the time of Noah and our time today? In another translation in the Amplified, it says, And they did not know or understand until the flood came. And they were swept all away. Jesus is coming back soon. And if we're not ready, and if we just think that it's business as usual, we will all be swept away by the upcoming judgment. God will not judge the earth anymore with flood, but He will judge the world someday with fire. It's interesting that during that time, it was an age of progress, an age of new discovery. They probably discovered new things in science. They probably discovered new things in medicine, but yet they did not even know what's happening around them. They probably discovered new ways of making money, but yet they did not know what was happening around them, that the flood is coming. It was an age of progress, but they did not know. An age of prosperity, but they did not know. An age where people were accumulating, uh, you know, herds and cattle and accumulating wealth. It was a time of building new structures, building homes, building towers like the Tower of Babel, but they did not know. They know so much about things, but they did not know about the signs of the times. I hope that we will not be a people like that today. 
but that we would be discerning to the times and the seasons of God in our life. I'm just so grateful that we live in a, in a nation like the Philippines where you can actually read the Word of God. There's no restriction. You can actually enjoy reading the Word. You, know, you can go to church. You can attend a small group. You can go and listen to podcasts. There's, how many of you know that the Word of God is... There's no shortage of the Word of God in the Philippines. But there's a shortage of faith and a shortage of obedience. I'm not mad at you, okay? You know, God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. It is not the desire of God to destroy planet Earth. He was so patient that he was waiting and waiting and waiting. You know, Second Peter talks about this. It is not God's desire that everybody would come to, to, per, would perish, but that everyone would come into repentance. In fact, one particular commentary talks about this character named Methuselah. How many of you remember Methuselah? Methuselah is, uh, was the son of Enoch. And he was the oldest person who ever lived on planet Earth. No one beat the record of Methuselah's age. 969 years old. And then he died. You know what the meaning of Methuselah is? One particular commentary said that his meaning, the meaning of his name is, when he dies, it shall be sent. What will be sent? What was the reference? Remember last week we read the scripture of Enoch. When Enoch was 300 years old, Methuselah was born, and from then on he walked with God. Probably God spoke to Enoch about the judgment that's upcoming with the flood. And God was patient. And ha somehow, Enoch was the measuring line. The moment that Enoch died, the flood came. 969 years. Talks about the patience of God. The Bible says, for the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years is like a day. And he was so patient, just like during the flood of Noah. That he waited and waited and waited and waited until people will turn away from their sins, kind of like the Ninevites, but they did not. This is probably the reason why Enoch walked with God because of that particular name that God gave, Methuselah. My last thought is, by faith, Noah became an heir of righteousness. Everybody say, heir of righteousness. You know, we saw all the descriptions in, of, of, of uh, the world, how God felt, what God saw in Genesis chapter 6. It was so bad, Genesis chapter 6 verse 1 to 7 was a description of all the things that was happening in the world. It grieved the heart of God. He said, the inclination of, of man is evil. I'm going to blot the, the people out on this, or from this planet. But in verse 8, we see a sudden shift in the tone of the writer. And in verse 8, we see here, but Noah. Everybody say, but Noah. There was a transition, a beautiful transition word. Using the word, but Noah. When all the things are going south or evil, there was one man who did not compromise. There was one man that God actually chose, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. In fact, if you look at, if you look at the New King James Version, the, the translation goes, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. King James talks about Noah found grace. First time that grace was said or mentioned in the Bible was Genesis chapter 6, verse 8. Not because of what Noah did, not because Noah was really, really good. It was more of an imputed righteousness. It was something that was given to him. It was not something that he worked for. How many of you know that even Noah probably had sinned before the Lord? But yet there was something about Noah that by faith he was willing to obey God. It was the eyes of God that caught Noah. And he said, he saw something in this man. 
and I found favor in him. Verse 9, it says, Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. And read the next sentence. Noah walked with God. Familiar statement. Enoch walked with God. His grandchild Noah walked with God. Both men walked with God. And both men were spared from the flood. Enoch was spared from the flood because God took him away. Noah was spared from the flood because God put him on the flood. And he floated on the flood. No matter what you're going through, no matter what hardships you are in, if you found favor in God, either God will take you away <laughs> from the problem or he will put you on top of your problem or sometimes he will allow you to go through the problem. But yet the hand of God is going to protect you. It was the ark that protected them. And they, had, they can actually restart planet earth and repopulate planet earth. It was the ark or the basket that protected Moses. And he was able to deliver the nation of Israel from Egypt. And the modern day ark that we have is Christ himself. That cross is our ark. What he did on the cross is the one that's able to protect us from all the condemnation and judgment of God. What's interesting to note here is the name of Noah means rest. You know, for 40 days, 40 nights, it rained and it stopped eventually, but it took them a year and about one month before the floods totally receded from the face of the earth. They were in the boat for one year. Can you imagine? I don't know if that's a boat or a manger by that time, okay? Different smell already with the animals, you know, but yet we know that somehow God protected them. And what happened after Noah went out of the boat? What did he see? There was a rainbow. It's interesting that this is a sign of the covenant. And God made a covenant with Noah. You know, right after Noah went out of the ark, he took some of the clean animals and sacrificed them. Buti na lang marami siyang baon. Kundi wala na yung species na yon, right? But he sacrificed them before the Lord and he, his attitude was not to complain before the Lord, but his attitude was to worship before God. And God showed them a rainbow. And he said in Genesis chapter 9, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again, everybody say never again, never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. I'd like to ask the music team to join me here on stage. How many of you know that when God gives us a covenant, He will be faithful to that promise? Amen. That's why every time you see a rainbow now, remind yourself of the flood. Remember Noah. Remember the ark. Remember the way that God has preserved His family. Remember the way that God has actually restarted and made all things new from that time on. God said, I'm not going to destroy planet Earth again with a flood. And I believe that He's constantly watching over that promise. Yes, there's floods that we see. There's tsunami that we see. But somehow that is born out of the effects of man's sin. But yet He is preserving humanity as it is today. There's no massive universal flood that's going to happen anymore because God is in charge of planet Earth. By faith, Noah built his ark in order to save himself and his family he built the ark even if he has not seen anything like it by faith he also was a preacher of righteousness and by faith he became an heir of righteousness not because of the things that he did it was imputed on him God gave him that grace it was not earned 
by Noah. It was something that God saw in him. That among all the people during that time, he will respond to God and believe in his word and say, God, I will obey. No matter, no matter how difficult it is, I will obey. 100 years being mocked by people, 100 years almost building the ark. You're going to you're gonna get tired after a while. But Noah obeyed until he finished the ark, until all the specifications were done. A righteousness from God. I want to end with the scripture, Romans chapter 3, verse 21 to 22 says, but A righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known, to which the law and the, pe- the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through what? Through faith. In whom? In Jesus Christ. To all who believe. It was true during that time, during the days of Noah. I believe it's the same grace that God gave him. The same grace is available to us. God saved Noah not because of what he did. God had to use an ark. And in the same way, God is saving us today not because of what we can do, but God is using the ark of Christ in our lives. A righteousness coming from God through faith in Him. Let's bow our heads right now as we come to a close. As we come before the Lord, maybe some of us are feeling like no others evil all around we're facing so many things maybe in our office in our families in our in our campus i just want to pray for you right now lord help us preserve us god help us to be like noah help us to be a preacher of righteousness in the industry that we're facing right now help us to represent you well god and glorify you in our business in our in our uh uh show business in the industry that we're in, maybe in real estate, maybe in the school, the campus that we're in, maybe in the bank, maybe in the call center, God. The world and its ways are like a flood that's coming in its practice of evil and deceit and sin. But Lord, help us to preserve our life, to glorify you, Lord. And if there's anything that is not pleasing to you, Lord, I pray that you would forgive us. We repent of that, Lord. And I thank you that your blood, the blood of Jesus, will be able to cleanse us from all our sins. You said in your word, if anyone confesses his sin, you are faithful and just. Forgive us our sins. And you will purify us from all unrighteousness. So Lord, we commit to you once again our lives afresh. Thank you, Lord God, for what you have learned today. Help us to walk in your grace every day of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You just heard a podcast from Victory. For more messages like these, or to access other resources, please visit our website at victory.org.ph or like our page on Facebook at facebook.com victoryph.